0: And so I just, I want to say that on the front end. I mean, this is a tough, tough passage. Uh, because in Mark chapter 8, here's what's happening. Up until this point, this is kind of the turning point in the whole gospel of Mark. It's the dead center of the book, there's 16 chapters. The first eight chapters, what, here's what Mark is doing. He's basically asking the question of who is this Jesus? Who is this man? Read the whole first cha- eight chapters and you get people saying, Who's this man that calms the storm, that causes the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear? Who is this man? And then the second half of the book, it all hinges here, starts to talk about what Jesus came to do and what kind of Messiah he truly is. And so the climax is actually in verse 29 of the whole book. Look at verse 29. Jesus has asked the disciples and he said, Hey, who do people say that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say just one of the prophets. And then he turns to them and he says very directly, But who do you say that I am? And look at how Peter responds. Peter says, That's easy. You're the Christ. You're the one. And while Peter's words were indeed correct because Jesus indeed is the Christ, Peter's concept of what kind of king that Jesus was, what kind of Messiah He is, was dead wrong and totally off. Look at the story. Look at verse 31. Jesus reveals... What kind of Messiah he is. He says very plainly, the Son of Man, he doesn't say might suffer, um, will think about suffering. <laughs> the Son of Man in verse 31 must suffer. And then look at how Peter responds in this passage. He hears that and he says, No way, look at verse 32 no way. He actually pulls the Lord Jesus Christ, if you can imagine being there and rebukes him. Because Peter understands, he makes the connection that if Jesus suffers, then he too must suffer. And so he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes him. And in essence, here's what he's saying, is Jesus, this is not my dream. This is not the dream that I had for my life. When I thought about and decided to follow you, this is not quite what I had in mind. Peter says, I am thinking about the Old Testament kings. What I have in mind, my dream, is what I see them doing and how I see them living. They're living a life of luxury, they have lots of riches. They're living lives of comfort. And so Peter's saying, that's what I want. What's with all this suffering business? I want riches. I want comfort. I want power. I want to rule. And then look at verse 33. Jesus then rebukes Peter. I mean, it's not really what you want Jesus saying to you, like calling you Satan, (laughs) which is what he does. He then pulls Peter aside and rebukes him. And here's what's happening here. Jesus rebukes Peter because Jesus is saying, Peter, I've heard these words before. I've heard these words before in the wilderness and they came straight from the mouth of Satan himself when he was tempting me to give up all of this to gain the world and to be comfortable. And Jesus says, Peter, I refuse to be any other kind of Messiah except for a suffering Messiah. Peter, the nature of my kingdom is defined in terms of a cross. See, what's happening here is what Jesus is doing to Peter and what he's doing to us tonight Is he's asking us to trade our dreams for a cross? He's asking us to give up our dreams for a bigger and better dream. Because Jesus says, Your dreams, our dreams, are empty. And true life is really found in a cross. It's really found in suffering, in pouring your life out into the world around you. And so the question tonight that we're going to look at is what is Jesus' dream for our life? What's his dream for us? It's three things that we would deny ourselves, that we would have a new identity, and that we would embrace the great exchange. We see all of those things in this passage. Look at verses 34 and 35. This is very significant. Notice Jesus calls the crowd to him. And why is that significant? Well, because we can't get off the hook and say, yeah, you know, only the super spiritual guys, these disciples are called to give it all up and follow Jesus and deny themselves and take up their cross. But Jesus very specifically says, no, like, I want everyone to hear this. And so he calls the crowd to himself And he says this word, do you want to follow me? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever loses his life for the gospel will save it. And if that doesn't disturb us in some way, then we need to read it again. You see, my hope is that tonight is that we would hit this passage square on without flinching. Because what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to follow me, that there has to be a no in your life. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, then you're going to have to say no to some things. In other words, at a basic level, Jesus is saying that we can't just go the way we naturally want to go and live life for ourselves. In fact, we have to give up something. There are going to be times when we have to do that. And I know that sounds so strange for some of you to hear. I've been doing ministry in the Deep South my whole life, ever since I've been in the ministry. And in the religious South, we're surprised when Jesus actually tells us that we can't do something. But if this passage says anything, friends, if it says anything at all, it says that following Jesus might mean that certain sexual practices from your past might have to be given up. If it says anything, it means that Some of your alcohol habits might need to change if you're going to follow Him. Or it might mean that though the internet is good, that you simply can't have it in your house because you can't be trusted when you're all alone. You see, following Jesus... It involves denying yourself. It involves some kind of no, some kind of willing assumption of suffering, of a cross that has to be taken up for no other reason than because Jesus would want you to. What is it for you? Better yet, what is a question that you've been avoiding because you're afraid of the answer? You know, we need to be careful as we talk about subjects like this because we, got, we can't just place our no on someone else's, right? Everyone's different. And one person's no might not necessarily be another person's no. Everyone is different. And notice what the text says. That Jesus says what? Deny who? Deny yourself. And so we can't thoughtlessly impose what we're denying on another person and so we've got to be careful there and also as we read this I want you to understand that Jesus' description of the Christian life and of self-denial can almost make the Christian life sound like this boring lifeless ascetic quest and that's not true and so it's easy to kind of make excuses around a passage like this to kind of get the heat off of us. But this passage, it forces me. And this, was, this is what was so hard for me this week. Is it forces me and it forces you to face the idol of comfort in our lives. The idol of comfort that is so prevalent on this campus and in our own lives. I was talking to a student just a few days ago, and as we were talking, one of the things I've learned about myself, if I can be real honest, that God's convicted me of, and this was another kind of, uh, one of those moments, is I don't like to do anything hard. I really don't. Like when things are, I I mean, just my tendency is to just kind of, I just want life to be easy. And so when the going gets tough, I often want to kind of back, at, back down. I don't want to do anything hard in my life. What about you? You see, the pressing question of this passage is this. When was the last time that you've given up anything for no other reason than because you love Jesus so much? When is the last time... That you've even considered saying no to something because you're a follower of Jesus. Or better yet, have you ever given up anything to follow Jesus? And look, I don't know how else to say this, but there's no softening it. If you've never given up anything to follow Jesus and never said no to anything, then you're not following Jesus. You're not following the Jesus that is found in Mark chapter 8. You see, the the world tempts us, doesn't it? Because the world comes in and says that true life, the American dream, is found in a life of self-indulgence and a life of pleasure. And We know that isn't true, but we keep running after those things. You see, we think, and we've been taught that true joy and true life is found in an avoidance of suffering and in avoiding self-denial, but that's not the gospel. And it's not the gospel that Jesus preached and the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached and that Peter and the rest of the disciples engaged in. Why? Because they knew that the real life was the life that they might lose. What's Jesus' dream for your life? First of all, deny yourself. Secondly, it involves a new identity. Look at verses 35 and 36. Even though the Christian life is not less than self-denial, it is so much more than that, isn't it? I mean, we've got to balance out the negative with the positive. The passage doesn't just say, deny yourself. It also says what? Follow me. And so there is an aspect of following after Jesus. What does that mean?
1: Well, following
0: Jesus basically means a radical change in our identity. It basically means that our identity now, if we're following Him, is new because we identify and get our identity from Jesus and from the message that He preaches in the Bible. Tim Keller says that following Jesus is not about simply bending our wills to Jesus, but it's about having our hearts actually melted into His. Look at the word life in verse 35. It kind of works out this idea. That word life there in the Greek means psyche. And it literally means your identity, your personality, your sense of self... It's what makes you distinct. And what Jesus is saying here is that His dream for your life is that that you would find a sense of self, that sense of self, your identity, in a radically new way. He says that ordinarily the way that we find a, a sense of self and find our identity is by attaching ourselves by the things of the world. It's clearly seen in the passage. And so... It might look like this for some of you. You might be finding your identity and going after wealth and Mississippi social status and a career. And if you get those things, then life is good. You feel like you have worth. You feel like you have value. You feel like you have been set apart and you have a sense of self. Others of you, it might be totally different. It might be you're going after family. You're going after a ring by spring. (laughs) You're going after relationships. It might mean that you're going after your parents' love and their approval. But whatever it is, Jesus is saying here that our natural tendency as human beings is to attach ourselves to the things of the world and in turn, here's what happens. They become who we are at a fundamental level. But it's more than that, isn't it? Look at the passage. It's so much more. Because Jesus says, not only are you attaching yourselves to the things of the world, but you're also building your lives on them. And if you build your life on the things of the world, Jesus says that you're going to lose the life that you're so desperately trying to save. I mean, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that your life, if you do that, is going to be unavoidably unstable if you build your life on the things of the world. This is why when your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you or the person that you're dating, when that relationship comes apart, that is why it's not a temporary setback. But instead it totally tears your heart apart inside. Why? Because you were building your life on that relationship. It had become your identity. Some of you are going into the workforce and in a few years you might come face to face with the fact that your company is actually gouging the poor. But you continue to make the saddest of excuses because you want to justify your working there. Why? Because you've built your life on financial security and you can't stand the thought of losing it. Friends, whatever it is that if it were to be taken away from you at this very moment, think about that. What in your life that if were taken away from you would shatter you into a thousand little pieces? That's what you're building your life on. That is your identity. And Jesus says, if your identity is on anything else but Him, Then we and myself included, we are going to lose the life that we're so desperately trying to save. Jesus dreamed for our life that we would deny ourselves, that we would have a new identity founded on Him. And then, thirdly and finally, it involves embracing a great exchange. Look at verse 31. It's interesting because Jesus kind of lets the cat out of the bag really early in this passage about who he is and what he came to do. And he says, basically, I'm not the Messiah that you think, that I'm not coming in glory, I'm coming in weakness and in suffering. And I will die and be suffered and I will suffer at the hands of enemies. Now look with me at verse 37. Jesus asked this question, and it seems kind of out of place, doesn't it? It kind of uh, doesn't seem to fit. He asked this rhetorical question, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? We have to answer that question as we're reading this passage. Otherwise, verse 31 will never make sense. That word exchange there is translated as purchase money. That's what it means. It means substitute or Equivalent. And it's based on Psalm 49 7 and 8, which says this No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. Do you see it? You see what Jesus is getting at? Jesus is saying that if you don't have me, Then you have nothing to which you can redeem, that you can ransom, that you can purchase your own soul. Jesus is saying that we need a substitute for our sin-weary souls. And what's interesting is that the disciples totally missed it, didn't they? Because if you look at verse 31, it says that he will die, but will also rise again and the disciples they locked in into the suffering part and that's all they could think about and so they totally missed the gospel. <laughs> Jesus is saying, "Guys, I came as a substitute for your sin, weary soul. I am the only hope that you have." And so you can imagine how this was for the people that were hearing Jesus say these things. I mean, how hard that was for them to hear because he was saying the hardest of things. He was saying that they were sick and that they actually had a need and that they were broken. But in the very same breath, Jesus gives them the best news that they ever heard. You see, following Jesus and confessing Jesus is deeply frightening. Because it forces you to face the hard things about your own life. But the good news is that the gospel gives you the freedom to face those hard things. Those things that are true. It allows you to go before the throne of God and say, God, it's all true. And worse... You see, the gospel is cheer up. You're a whole lot worse than you think. But cheer up. The good news and the love of Christ is so much greater than you could ever imagine. And the good news comes, as we've seen in this passage, with the whole exchange. We need the great exchange. And the great exchange is the gospel because it comes and it says that Jesus comes and He dies and is crucified and suffers and wipes away all of your sin. Check this out. All of your sin. Past, present, and all the sins that you're ever going to commit, Jesus has wiped them away. On the cross. And not only that, as I said last week, He then rises from the dead and gives you His perfect righteousness. Jesus has come to show you mercy and to show you grace through His dying and through His resurrection. Friends, the only way that you can ever deal with the radical effects of sin in your life the only way that you're ever going to be able to deal with the shame and the guilt and the brokenness is through Jesus. He's the only one that can heal your broken heart. You know, Jesus says to every one of us tonight, who do you say that I am? And if you say, Jesus, like Peter did, you're the Christ. I hope you realize that Jesus' dream for the people who say that is to come and die. Those are the terms. Man, I wish they were different. Those are the terms and there are no others. Let's pray. Father, we need your grace. Father, bind us to you. Forgive us for living for ourselves. Forgive us for building our lives on the things of this world. Jesus, would you come uh, and cover us with your um, righteousness and we thank you that because of the gospel we won't be burned as we go through the fire because of the blood of Jesus that we are made righteous and we are forgiven And I pray that we would leave here tonight rejoicing in that hope. That we would leave um, thrilled about the good news of the gospel. And I pray that we would uh, sing differently as we sing, It is well with your soul uh, here now that uh, we can truly sing that because of the cross. Be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen.